It's Thursday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. That's right, it's the only movie podcast that offers completely objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am the podcaster with no name, I'm your host, I'm Conrad, and he has been snapping necks and cashing checks, it's Anthony James. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. There he is. How are you doing, Anthony? Doing very well, doing very well. You know, uh, you know, sort of currently going through the toilet training, but uh, that's all right. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could do some of that myself. Um, yeah, well, it's not, not for me. I should, I should uh, point out, it's not for me. It's uh, for my... A my... <laughs> little bit of blue humour there, folks, yeah, just two... to get you settled into the mood. <laughs> yeah, two and a half year old son. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and don't ask me how it's going. Let's, let's just say uh, there's been one or two dining room tables disinfected. That's all I'll say. Listen, you know, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few... <laughs> pissy eggs <laughs> <laughs> that's all so did you know. um did you uh, did you enjoy my i actually don't know if you've seen it but did you enjoy my stepbrothers uh movie reference for you in the intro this week because I, I threw it in there deliberately for your benefit i'm gonna be completely honest i wasn't listening <laughs> you, this, you, tell, tell, you see tell, the kind of shit i need to put up with tell me it again I said he's oh, been snapping no, yes, necks and cashing checks, which is a, a line from the hilarious Will Ferrell movie, Ferrell yeah. movie rather, yeah, yeah. Step Brothers, Got which it. everyone should see. Yeah. Uh, Honestly. The fucking Catalina wine mixer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will Ferrell, you know, he, he's... he's He's on the downward, downward like end of his career, but he, he's, he churned out some good stuff in the last 20 years. Yeah, um, yeah. Right, before, before we get too far off track... If you're new, this is going to be a movie diary where we talk about all the movies we've seen since the last time we did one of these, which was a couple of weeks ago, because last week we did our our uh, incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Prescient, I guess? Like, it was relevant, uh, movie president's uh, episode. Yep. But yeah, we're doing a movie diary this week, so we're going to discuss what we have seen, uh, and we're also going to do one of those next week. Uh, so if you enjoy this, check us out then as well. Uh, please subscribe to uh, the podcast on pod- podcasting apps or on all the good ones, or on YouTube if that is your preferred means of viewing slash listening. The Culture and- Cage. Yeah, the Culture Cave. That's the that's the name of the channel. That'd be helpful for you to know. Uh, and other than that, like the video, subscribe, get chatting in the comments about what you've seen this week and what you think of the movies we recommend. But otherwise. I reckon it's time to talk about some movies. What do you reckon, Anthony? Yes, I want to do that. Excellent. Let's do that then. Movies. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, how many have you seen since we last spoke um, on this I, topic? I have seen. Now I'm gonna. This is gonna. I'm gonna impress you here. It's not your it's nine. Not it's not your nine from the other week. Uh, but it's four. I've managed to watch four relevant films to a movie podcast uh, that aren't... Again, I've watched at least 25 Disney films, but we're not going to count those. Uh, if I ever watch one I want to talk about like on a podcast, I'll, I will mention it. Like, so I mentioned Soul a few weeks ago. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, I got uh, we subscribed to Disney Plus this month because... What did we want to watch? We watched something. No, I haven't even started watching Mandalorian yet. Actually, there was another thing I wanted to watch. Oh, I know what I like. Well, it'll come up later, listeners. You just stay put. Um, oh, but uh, yeah, we subscribed. Starring Dennis Quaid. <laughs> yeah, Field of Dreams. Is that even Disney? I don't know. Um, yeah, so we, we subscribed to Disney Plus, and yeah, I, there's there's plenty I'm not going to talk about today that I've just had on in the background. Uh, I, you know, I could talk about a lot of The Simpsons because I've watched a lot of that as well. Turns out The Simpsons is still really funny. Yeah. What can we say um, except you're welcome? That's <laughs> we, I'd watch that. I definitely watch <laughs> yeah. that. That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I knew it. I, I, I watched... Sorry, listeners. This is going to be a brief tangent into Conrad's home, Conrad's home life that you, you're not going to be interested in and it's not going to entertain you. But just bear with me for one second. I watched Moana with uh, my two German, uh, I guess they were kind of technically nieces. They were two and three. uh, And that was the point at which I kind of realized my level for German speaking because they were above me in German speaking. So I was saying things like, uh, hey, hey, ist ein Dummkopf and stuff like that. (laughs) And they found that hilarious. So I was like, all right, I can entertain children when speaking German. So I've got that. Take that one off. <laughs> but that's the level I'm conversing at in German, unfortunately, uh, which will mean nothing to anyone who listens to this podcast but doesn't listen to our other podcast, the After Dark Podcast. Which is like, which which we just covered a German show. Having said that, I don't know any other languages, any way at all, and uh, you know, I, I still know the words to Moana in English, and I impress myself all the time. You can speak Australian. That's, <laughs> actually, when I first moved to to Ireland on my first day of school three or four different kids when I was like 12, three or four different kids said to me, how did you learn English? You know, they, they, they thought I spoke Australian, like in Australia. Crikey. Um, movies. That's yeah. what we're here to talk about. Just to reiterate that, just in case anyone's tuned this out already. I've seen uh, six. So like, I reckon you said you've seen four. Yeah. We've got an average of five. How's this going to work? Okay. Well, I tell you what, let's, I've just talked for quite a bit, so why don't you do one, and then I'll do two, and then you do one, and I'll do two, and then we'll do we'll go back and forth. For that, sound, that sounds good to me. So I'll start off with one that I sort of teased last week. I said it was my favorite movie last week, um, and I, I at this point I watched this about a week and a half ago because of our um, president's episode. I didn't get a chance to talk about it yet, and that is Rock the Casbah, 2015's Rock the Casbah, hmm. um, directed by Barry Levinson, Levinson, starring Bill Murray. Um, Excellent. Yeah, have you heard of this? Have you seen this? No, I've never even heard of this movie, to be honest. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to guide me through this experience. Yeah. Okay. So basically, this is uh, it's kind of one of those weird films where the writer was inspired by a real life story, but then wrote like the main character from the real life story becomes a, a B B character, and they sort of they write the real life story from the perspective of a different new character. And I'll explain hmm. what I mean. So in real life, there was a I can't remember the woman's name, and if I could remember it, I'm sure I I'm sure I would mispronounce it because it's it's an Afghan woman who okay. basically became the first contestant, uh, a woman to go on TV and sing and dance, and she went on a TV show called Afghan Star, and uh, she sang and danced on it. Um, now the songs she sang, I think, were traditional Afghan songs, so I didn't actually know them. Having said that, in the film, so what they've done that's the that's the true story, and it was very inspiring to a lot of um, you know Middle Eastern women. This idea of this woman going on dancing and singing, it sort of liberated their minds a lot. So basically, um, the film Rock the Casbah, uh, written by Mitch Glazer, what Mitch Glazer's done in the script is he's created a down-on-his-luck um, manager of of, mm. of, of singers, and I, I think it's just singers that he manages, called Richie Lands, played by Bill Murray. And basically, what he he's he used to be the manager of Madonna in the show in the film and all, and he goes yeah. over he goes over to Afghanistan. Uh, he he gets in he's sort of down on his luck, but his Zoe Deschanel is one of his clients, and uh, there's a there's a fellow who organizes the trips around all the uh, U.S. military bases in Afghanistan for singers and things to go and entertain right. the troops, and he en- enlists her to go out there, um, and so they go out to Afghanistan. There's a lot of comedy that ensues from that. But um, while he's out there, he actually discovers uh, um, an Afghan woman singing in a cave. 
called okay. uh, play, uh, called Salima, and she's played by a, uh, an actress who I've never seen before, but called uh, Lim Lubani, and she was very very good in it. But basically, she Lim Lubani, this character Salima, is the parallel to the real life woman who went on Afghanistan. Okay. Yep. Um, now, unlike <laughs> unlike the, uh, the the real life um, film, no, sorry, real life story, uh, this one has the has the afghan woman singing western songs um maybe to make it more palatable to the western audience i'm not sure um but it's 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 sort of a comedy film with moments of it, it's a actually no it's a comedy film let's be honest i'm trying to think about what it is it's, it's a, i think it's i think it's built as a comedy war film because basically does it, does it sorry go on I was going to say, basically, he goes out, he's in sort of the war-torn Afghanistan. There's a lot... Yeah. And, 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 Natural fodder for comedy. Like. Yeah, and like, and one of the... one of, Actually, I forgot to tell you, one of the main characters uh, is Bruce Willis as well. Right. And Bruce is Willis... he like a, a brigadier... A brigadier generals in the US Army? Is he like some kind of major, like a high-ranking army officer? No, he plays sort of like a loose cannon military guy who actually seems to not really be in the military anymore. And he sort of, oh, okay. he just sort, I don't know, he sort of helps them by like being protection when they go places and stuff. It's like he's like CIA or something. I don't know what he is, but he's called Bombay Brian. And, uh, <laughs> and he, uh, sure. he's a bit of a ruffian. And um, he sort of uh, spends the night with Zoe Deschanel. He sort of, he sort of hit the little love interest for her at the beginning of the film. He's sort of a, he, I don't know, okay. he's, he's a real mystery, this Bombay Brian. But ba- basically, um, Bill Murray, it gets caught up in like local like sort of village wars between warlords and villagers in Afghanistan. It's full of comedy hijinks. Yeah, again, that sounds like naturally naturally yeah. funny yeah. situation. In real, which it's myself. real fish. It's a fish out of water comedy, basically. Um, and I would I would recommend it. Like you know, there was definitely there was definitely like you know, it was it was a little bit predictable. It was a little bit by 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 rote in terms of the structure of it. But overall, Bill Murray gives a fantastic performance in it, and it's it's different. It's it's different in terms of the films coming out these days with the fact that they put Bill Murray in it. It is different than what a comedy film you would go to see with sort of the latest big star like Will Ferrell, whatever. I, I, when you were describing it to me, um, a sort of a Bill Murray in a kind of fish out of water failed. Uh, elderly white man in a country he doesn't understand encountering an enchanting young girl yeah. uh, or young woman excuse me it put me immediately in mind of lost in translation and i've just i've just had a look at mitch glazer it's quite funny he was a producer on lost in translation so does it have any of that kind of that um i'm not really sure what I, I, there's a, there's a certain kind of fantasy and romance to lost in translation that makes it really char- charming does this have any of that no this is this is very much in the style of a comedy, but it's sort of shot a little bit. It's like they they've taken some of the the color out. You know, what I mean, it's sort of a little bit mm. independenty, but not. You know, you know, it's not because of the cast and everything. But the way it's shot and the grading of it is quite stark, and um, it's it, it builds an interesting world of of Afghanistan actually in this okay. war, in this war torn time. Like all the Americans who like they're actually driving around the city at night when they're not supposed to be out. And like driving past these ruined buildings on the way to a nightclub, you know what I mean? And they go into a night, they go like through Afghan uh, military checkpoints and stuff, and, and then and they're going into these night into the nightclub. Um, Kate Hudson's in it; she plays a prostitute. Um, oh, okay. It's, actually, that's what I mentioned earlier uh, last week. Um, this film reminded me of the—I I don't even want to call it—it's not really a trope. It's actually more of a poison within the industry, and that's casting women 
who are like 40 years younger than the male lead oh, yeah uh, you know as <laughs> as the uh as the love interest it, it it's it gets me but I, the thing is in this film it's actually all, um, maybe okay because she uh she's you know they they never actually end up i don't think they i, I don't think it's actual romance she's like a prostitute who's that he has they sort of do things together i don't know if you it's not a romantic I mean, as film. you as you would with a prostitute yeah, yeah it's not just like not just that type of thing though they 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 sort of uh go you know go into business together or so or, or what do you say it is a film that has been critically panned i will say it's it's okay it's not it, it didn't hit well at the, at the uh in terms of uh the 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 it didn't get it, it critical like, response. No, not very high critical response. Having said that, it was good fun. I just randomly put it on Amazon Prime. I'd never heard of it before I put it on. I'm gonna be honest with you. Not very often am I searching through a streaming service and see something I've never heard of before and just go, ah, let's give it a go. And yeah. this this was that. Um I will say, you know the film I can't remember what you call it, with Jonah Hill, like War War Dogs or something like that? Yeah, uh do, you, um, Lords of War? So, yeah, something like the that. Nicholas Cage. No, 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 no. no. No, War oh, no, the one with Jared Leto, you're, um, you're thinking of, right? Jared Leto? I'm not sure of Jared Leto. Wait, no, I, I'm thinking of the one with the arms dealers that, like, Jared yes. Leto's in it. Is Jared Leto in yeah. it? I'm thinking of, well, it's Jonah Hill anyway. I'm thinking of Jonah Hill, but... Uh, I might they, be conflating two movies here. Oh, you might be. Okay, so basically, yeah. um, Danny McBride is in Rock the Casbah, and he right. plays a character that's similar to Jonah Hill and his mate in War Dogs, who they've sort of just got involved in this arms dealing and getting a lot of money from government contracts, based you know, but they're sort of they're taking uh, Bill Murray round it round this Afghani city, and it's 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 just probably the funniest moment of the film for me is that they're in this like convertible, driving around, and they get stopped by by the by the like this checkpoint, and they've got guns hanging at holding at them. And like, uh, and like, Bill Murray's like stands up in the middle of the car. He's a bit drunk, you know, and he's and he's and he's like trying to plead with him. Like, I'm Richie Lance. I was uh, the manager to uh, Madonna, right? And he's like going like this. And then like the guys just to have a none of it. Like, it's there's, there's there's a lot of straight man or like you know sort of Afghan men not taking any crap up against Bill Murray comedy in this show. So yeah. it's it's worth watching. Don't expect don't expect you know, to walk away thinking that was the best film I ever saw, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, that movie was War Dogs. Uh, uh, just to just to clarify, it was the yeah. last movie Todd Phillips directed before Joker. I didn't know Todd Phillips directed War Dogs and Miles Teller is the other person. I think I did know that whenever Joker came down, that came out and I did the whole look into it. I wasn't that big of, and Joker will come back later actually. Not, 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 I didn't watch Joker, but it will come back thematically in this podcast. But I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I wasn't that big of a Hangover fan. I'm just gonna they're okay. They're so okay. They, they were okay. So, um, well, I'll, I'll just put it this way: I'm gonna wait and see how Todd Phillips does with his next film before judging whether he's a good director or not. It'll probably be Joker too, by the looks of things. Yeah, so we true. can see. Um, right. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start things off with. I think I said I was gonna do two of mine. We'll do two. We'll see how it pans out. I'm do not two. a mathematician. Yeah. Um, so. I, I'm, I'm going to start things off with two movies that I absolutely loved. One was a movie that came out, I think it came out actually, or it released at festivals in January 2019, and then it just kind of languished in distribution hell for a long time. Uh, but I think it was eventually picked up by Amazon to be released last year, and it completely miss, I, I completely missed it. And actually, it was quite annoying that I watched it uh, this week because uh, it, it, like, I watched it shortly after my Best of 2020 video came out, and I was immediately like, shit, this should have been in there. Um, but it, and that it is... Out, is that 
count as 2020 if it came out in 2019 in festivals? Well, a festival. I don't count festivals as a release because oh, okay, it's not okay. it's not a theatrical release. Yeah, um, but that is uh, the Vast of Night, which is a directorial debut from Andrew Patterson, and this movie is fucking awesome. Uh, it's like it's kind of like a period piece about uh, kind of 50s. Um, I guess it's 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 like fear of um, fear of aliens and fear of like communism and and this it's almost like an extended Twilight Zone episode basically and it and it has all the the, the kind of period trappings of a fifties paranoia uh, based thriller about aliens potentially communicating to us essentially the story is that there are two young teens who intercept a weird sounding radio signal uh, one night while they're one of them is works at the switchboard the other one works at the radio station everyone in the town or pretty much everyone at the town is at a high school basketball game so the town is basically completely empty uh, and it's them running around this town trying uh, trying to find out what's going on and they're getting phone calls from ex-army veterans who are talking about oh i've encountered this signal before and it's something up there that's beaming down to us and honestly, this movie will make the hairs on the back of your arms stand up. It's so creepy, um, and it's it's got a wonderful sense of place as well. I think I think the the as I say that the the way it captures like the period trappings of the fifties is fantastic, but it, it elevates itself beyond that. Uh, with uh, Andrew Patterson's presentation. So the, uh, it, admittedly, this is kind of digitally stitched together, but there are a couple of scenes um, or a couple of shots where the you essentially get a go-kart out of a room and then it literally races across the entire town, goes through the high school gym, goes out one of the top windows of it and then turns back into a go-kart that goes to the radio station. So like fully, and it, and it is stitched together digitally, which I, you know, I don't care. I, I, I'm, it's technically impressive whichever way you look at it, but if it gives you such a wonderful sense of place um and it, and it reminds me a bit of uh, close encounters of the i always forget which number it is close encounters of the fourth kind or third kind the spielberg movie but it's it's third, so yeah. so creepy and 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 it's just it could just be this kind of like schlocky period thing but it, it elevates itself above that and that the two stars sierra mccormick and jake horowitz are brilliant in it as well it's i cannot recommend this highly enough um it's oh, okay i might check this out then it sounds great I, I, it's on I, prime I, now Aliens freak me out. So even if it's not like a horror, I still would be freaked out. By it's, it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it a horror because the it's more this kind of growing sense of dread yeah. at what it could be. It's not. It's horror in the sense that it is very creepy, but it's not. There's not really actually. An, I'm, I'm obviously I'm not going to spoil what happens in the movie, but it's not really about something happening. It's just weird signals and scary stories being told in an isolated New Mexico town, and yeah. that that setting is what makes it creepy. But I mean, you know, you, you as, as a fan of stuff that's set in the fifties, I think you would, you would enjoy it. Um, yeah. Even if, even if alien stuff does kind of creep you out. Does it sort of have the same feel of like the first act of signs maybe? Yeah. It's very similar to signs, uh, uh, less uh, of the kind of jump scariness, yeah. but yeah, that first act in particular, just this, just this kind of foreboding sense of dread, like the, you know, just that this idea like you you intercept this weird radio signal and there's this what there's one particular scene with uh with sierra mccormick where she's working the switchboard which as an aside i've never seen a switchboard operated before but it is fucking nuts how those worked yeah. i don't know how you did that back in the day but she's operating this switchboard and she hears this weird signal and she's like connecting it to lots of different or well, a couple of people different people in town say do you know what this is do you know what this is and and then eventually the it cuts to the radio station where he gets a call saying like oh yeah we we buried something in the desert 
that that made this sound and it was communicating with something and there's a pause and it's like up there and it's just like oh <laughs> but yeah vast of night well worth checking out on amazon prime if you're in the mood for something quite creepy um and, and brilliantly presented yeah and it looks like uh andrew patterson this is his first ever foray into yeah, yeah as a directorial maybe... debut it is the, i we will watch his career with great interest because this is as strong a debut as i've seen probably since um since um oh what was is it it's not Jordan Peterson. He's the problematic YouTuber. Jordan yeah. Peele, um, who did a Get Get Out, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah that, that that is probably the strongest directorial debut I've seen since that. Yeah, well, you still have to watch uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. So that's also, but I'd be interested to see this. I mean, he doesn't even have a, a credit for any like short films or anything. He's just properly yeah. blasted onto the scene here. That's yeah. great. That's fantastic. It's, yeah, th- this is this guy if this is anything to go by this guy's got a hell of a career ahead of him uh so yeah what, what about the score of it I, I'm, I'm interested like even just this type of film it's all about the feel right yeah it's it's very the the, the score is very unintrusive it's very ambient um i, n- I never really noticed it it's, okay. you're certainly not really getting i don't know you know like uh, the beach boys playing on a on a car stereo or something like that it's it's really it's a very quiet movie actually there's a lot of lingering uh, sort of talking head shots while people have long stretches of dialogue or just 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 action where they're where they're doing certain things that just allow you to sit in this really un- uncomfortable silence. So the the, the 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 score I never really noticed, um, which I think is probably for the best given what kind of tone this movie is trying to strike. Okay, awesome. But yeah, well worth checking out. And then, um, so my second one, this is a rewatch for me, but I'm putting it in here because uh, I love this movie, and yeah. that is uh, The Matrix. Oh, you rewatched it? I did. I rewatched The Matrix. I, it, it's on Amazon Prime, and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen The Matrix for a little while. I, I'm going to watch it again, and this movie is still absolutely rules. It's even if you remove, I mean, I don't know why you would do this, but even if you remove it from the position it sits in in history, where it's one of the most influential and important action movies ever made, mm-hmm. it's still brilliant to watch uh, to this day. It, and, and you know, it, the, the the kind of blending of the like Hong Kong action cinema and like wuxia influence in like the fights uh, choreography with the vinyl and leather trench coat and the the sunglass wearing techno metal thing that it was going for which is it became like parodied obviously because this was so popular but this this is kind of where i mean well you could argue it kind of started with blade and maybe a little bit earlier than that but this is really where that hit the mainstream and i still i still think that stuff is pretty cool and yeah yeah, and and there are sequences in this movie where so i don't want to spoil anything but the sequence where they go to rescue a character and it goes from two characters in a helicopter to one jumping out of a helicopter to catch the one they're rescuing then the helicopter crashing neo having to grab grab the rope attached to the helicopter while the pilot of the helicopter jumps out you see the helicopter hit a building you see vfx we had never seen before up until that point as the windows of the building like ripple outwards as it hits it and then the cat the pilot smashes into the camera and cracks it it's just it's a virtuoso presentation in 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 pretty much every one of the, the the action scenes and i love this movie yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely fantastic. Iconic is the word. I think it yeah. was it became iconic within a year or two of it coming mm. out. It's like it's it's every now and then you get and you you would say it's probably an action sci-fi. Like it's not yeah. it it's and it's interesting looking back on it. It actually won four Oscars, right? I don't remember it winning Oscars actually. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't won, what did it win for? The best uh, film editing, 
Um, okay, yeah. Which is probably the highest brow one they did win, but it's like film editing, best sound, best uh, effects, sound effects editing, and, oh, be- yeah, and sure. best visual effects. So, um, so, but it's it's funny these days, like action films, there's less. I would say that there's there's less groundbreaking stuff coming out at the minute. Um, yeah. I think there there is an argument to be made with like you talking about Extraction coming out, maybe the John Wick stuff. There's yeah, like argument. John Wick is the one that where people yeah. were like, oh, this is different. Like I think it's only a matter of time before we get stunt coordinators being an Oscar category. To be honest with you, stunts uh, stunts yeah. are not Oscar category. I don't understand why, but they will eventually be. But um, yeah, yeah, that it's it's. I mean, this is watch Tom Cruise win it every year. Like they won't even give it to a yeah. stuntman. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same thing as Leo uh, DiCaprio winning Best Actor for being the most method actor, which yeah. is I don't I don't hate Leo DiCaprio. I just don't think he should have won for The Revenant. I think he should have won for something else. Yeah, he should have won for something else. He should have probably won for Shutter Island if I was going to pick something. But um, probably should have won for uh, Gilbert Grape all the way back in the day. I would say. Yeah, I haven't seen Gilbert Grape in a long time, actually. So I, I, I'm not, I can't really remember his performance that well. He was, one of, he was very, he was a teenager at the time. He played, he yeah. played a boy with um, uh, special needs. So, but, he, but you know, he got, he got nominated that young. Probably when I look at a, at a performance which would elevate him to the level of Oscar, probably that would be the closest one in my opinion. But Shutter yeah. Island again is a fantastic one as well. Yeah. Yeah, I just I like the Revenant. Like the Revenant's a, a deep, good movie. I, I I like the Revenant. I like his performance in it. But it's one of those ones where it's like you're giving him this because you know you fucked up. Yeah. This is what I like to call uh, the sense of a woman Oscar, where they gave Al Pacino, they finally gave Al Pacino a best best uh, uh, actor yeah. Oscar for that. I don't mean, like... but I have thought about it before, and we, I think I've mentioned it before with Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> like I've mentioned it before, like yeah, they are what they are. Like you know you have. It's Eventually, a, you have to recognize these actors. Yeah, like, sometimes I'm happy. You I'm grease happy. the wheels a little. Even if they came out and said, "Listen, we're giving him Leo one for his whole career," I'd be like, "Okay, I'm happy with that." Yeah, um, that is true. So, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world. It's just um, I can't. I'm trying uh, to be honest. It's been it's been long enough since the Revenant came out that I can't even remember who I thought should have won it at that point, which probably says a lot about the about yeah, I can't <laughs> the sanctity of my argument. Yeah, I can't remember who else was that year, but I will say uh, the Revenant is an example of for some reason. Uh, Shutter Island was another one where I heard Leo was coming out with these films and I went and I watched no I, I went and got the books for the film Shutter Island and, the Re- and Revenant and I read yeah. and I read them and then because I read them I didn't care about seeing the film anymore well I nice. did I just didn't get around to it so I didn't see The Revenant for like three years after it came out even though I'd read the book and I didn't see Shutter Island for like three or four years after it came out even though I'd read the book and both films I really liked Shutter Island was better than The Revenant in my opinion but um, yeah. but but I don't know. I have a, I have a habit of accidentally uh, staving my interest in films by reading the book before it comes out. Yeah, you just like basically convince yourself that like you you know everything that's going to happen, so you have no need to actually watch the movie. Although, as, um, as, a, as a little small tangent onto onto Shutter Island, Shutter Island is, and I will always say this: it is. And I haven't read every book in the world, so let me just provide you that. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you've established that. Yeah, I've established that. But for me, out of every book I've read in my life, Shutter Island is the best. Uh, best that a director has done to realize a book uh onto, mm. onto screen uh even at how complicated it was i was reading shot around thinking how the hell are they gonna do this well they did it in that film so yeah i, I i've not read the book I, I i probably should to be honest i really like that movie um and yeah i just say i prefer it to the revenant not i mean they're, they're not really linked apart from dicaprio being in it yeah, I, yeah. but i mean obviously like 
It is Scorsese, I think, Shutter Island. I'm pretty yeah, sure it is. Mm-hmm, um, it is yeah. I prefer Scorsese to Inuritu as a as a as a rule when it comes to when it comes to directors. Uh, so, which I don't think I'm alone in having that opinion. To yeah, be honest, yeah, I, I would I would I would agree. Yep. But but yeah, so um, the Matrix. If you haven't seen it, it's to oh. be honest, it's quite it's quite simply one of the best science fiction action movies ever made. It's still stunning to this day. If Carrie Ann Moss and Lawrence Fishburne and and uh, and uh, what's his what's his face Hugo Weaving are all great in it, and Keanu Reeves obviously as well. Um, and Keanu Reeves, we saw the the origin, if you like, of a man who was willing to do a huge amount of yeah. work off camera to learn the choreography, learn the stunts, so they could shoot in these kind of Hong Kong style long takes on him that made the fight scenes look amazing. And, and he would carry that work ethic through into his later career and stuff like John Wick. So when you're looking at John Wick, you you really want to go back to the Matrix because a lot of the people who worked on the Matrix work on the work on the John Wick films, including Chad Sahelski. Oh. Um, this is where he met uh, Keanu. That's cool. Well, grab yourself your least favorite spoon from the drawer and sit down and give it a go. That's what I'll say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure Yuri Geller's not in the room. That's a joke that will not work for like 90% of us. <laughs> right. Yuri Geller claimed to have moved a football during a penalty. I can't remember who it was. I think it was England versus Scotland. He claimed to have moved a football during a penalty shootout between England and Scotland. The man is a charlatan. Anyway. <laughs> well, you never know. He could have. He could have. We didn't see. It's true. He might it's have true. moved it in the direction that it was kicked while it was in the air. That is true. Yeah. You know. um, anyway, right. Okay. Let's have another. Let's have another one of yours. Okay. So um, I'm gonna. Say, I was gonna say this one to last, but I'm gonna segue into it based on just talking about Scorsese. I okay. F- I finally got around to watching a film that I've been meaning to watch for many many years. Then Joker came out, and I was like, okay, now I need to actually really go and watch it. Um, and then it still took me a couple of years to, to watch it, but I, fi- <laughs> but, I fi- I, but I finally did. I, I love that. So, like, and just like that, two years later, I yeah. went and watched it. I finally got around to it, and that is Scorsese's The King of Comedy. Uh, now, I've never seen this. This is a big blind spot for me in Scorsese's back catalogue, so you again, you're going to have to guide me through this. Okay, so basically, you've seen Joker, yeah? Yes, I have seen Joker, and I've seen Taxi Driver, which I think is the, the other yeah. uh, Scorsese movie that Joker pulls heavily from. Yeah, I think I think for Taxi Driver, for me, it's more the world that they're pulling um, in, mm. into it. Whereas the um, so basically, just before I get into the King of Comedy, the, the plot of Joker, if you haven't seen it, is is, is a, a fella called Arthur Fleck who's obsessed with a with a late night talk show host, um, and that eventually leads him. He's also got me, he's also got mental health issues, and that eventually leads him to becoming the Joker. Spoiler, spoiler, right? That's everyone knew that was coming. Um, he's sort of obsessed. With with Murray Flank Franklin in the in Joker, who's who's played by Robert De Niro. Interestingly, um, while the press tour for Joker was going on, they kept mentioning of like Todd Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix kept mentioning. Obviously, we're drawing from the King of Comedy. Obviously, we're drawing from the King of Comedy. And I was like, geez, they're mentioning this a lot. They're mentioning this yeah. a lot. And having seen the film, if they didn't mention it, everyone would have been talking about how they copied it. It is so similar. It is it is frighteningly similar. Yeah. Um, it, it is no. It's to the point where it's not even inspired by. It's almost like Todd Phillips watched this film and thought to himself, "What if at the end of this film he turned into the Joker?" <laughs> yeah. And that was it. <laughs> 
I, yeah, that that is kind of. I mean, I, I I can't really I can't say how much credence there is for this because I I haven't seen it obviously. But the the probably the biggest uh, or the most oft repeated criticism I heard of Joker was that it's like. And I, I thought Joker was okay. I don't think it was a bad movie. Yeah, I don't think it was I as good it. as some people said. But um, that there are, t- it's basically two halves or maybe two thirds and one third of better movies. Like you, you are better placed to go and watch The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver mm-hmm. than to watch Joker. You'll get more from it. That's that's what I heard a lot of people say about about that movie. And I don't know how I don't know how true that is based on what you've you've seen here. I think for me having the the, the comic book aspect to it and having him turn into the Joker. And also in Joker, they have a whole almost political struggle going on as well. Um, that it, which maybe is drawing from Taxi Driver, but but that that is not that 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 is not present within this film. This film is about Robert De Niro, which interestingly Robert De Niro plays Murray Fla- Franklin in Joker. Yeah. He, so he sort of is a role reversal in this one, and he plays uh, a character called Rupert Popkin, and Rupert Popkin is a man who is obsessed with a talk show comedian host called uh, Jerry Langford, played by Jerry Lewis. Uh, Jerry Lewis, of course, is the nutty professor. And um, in fact, actually, Robert De Niro said to Scorsese, wrote him a letter. I'm sure Scorsese still got this letter, but before they filmed this film, The King of Comedy, uh, Robert De Niro sent Scorsese a letter saying that he shouldn't have hired Jerry Lewis because he thinks that uh, Jerry Lewis will be too over the top in the role, won't be able to be be nuanced, and it would just create a mockery of the film, basically. And you tell yeah. like Robert De Niro is so serious, you know. You could tell he was going that. It's almost as if it's it's like can, you can imagine, um, you know, like Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix. Can you imagine if like Adam Sandler was cast in the role of Murray Fra- Murray Franklin? Can you imagine <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix writing a letter to Tom Phillips saying, "I don't think so," you know? Yeah. <laughs> But basically, that's that's what's ha- that's what happened. But anyway, Robert De Niro plays uh, Rupert Popkin, and he wants to be a stand-up comedian, uh, and he is obsessed with uh, Jerry Langford. Um, mm. Now it's got a really interesting dynamic. It starts off with him actually meeting him and talking to him, and he convinces himself that he's his best mate, and it sort of is a it's a it's a trip down into the depths of this man's mind, and he he can't accept that he's not his mate until a certain point in the film. And I'm not going to say any more after that, right? But it's it's sort of a very cynical view of show business. Yeah. And what it takes to get into show business and what show business turns you into. Um, Scorsese has been quoted as saying, if he could choose, like, when he looks back on this film, he sort of, some, he thinks to himself sometimes he shouldn't have made this film. It's a, oh, okay. it's a very cynical, it's, it's, it's a very cynical message in this film. Um, very very cynical um because the thing is in in joker we all go into joker knowing that he's going to be the bad guy you know joker the joker mm-hmm. is a bad guy and yeah we empathize him to a certain point and everyone has a different point in the in the film where where they empathized with arthur fleck in joker eventually everyone if you empathize with them at the end okay fair enough i don't want to talk to you but <laughs> but but there's a certain point where everyone loses empathy for him um but with um but with Rupert Popkin you realize almost immediately that that actually this this guy's troubled and he won't take no for an answer and it's 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 a different dynamic and Robert De Niro is absolutely unbelievable in this film he's 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 like really unsettling and very immature yeah. and also quite terrifying in moments 
I it's absolutely absolutely fantastic. Robert De Niro in this film is probably the best I've seen Robert De Niro to be honest with you. Like is and, and, it's it's un- I mean, you know, I I know Robert De Niro is kind of preaching to the choir by saying, "Hey, that Robert De Niro guy, he's a pretty good actor." Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is the fourth uh, I believe it's the fourth time he'd been in a Scorsese movie and up until this point he'd done Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull. Um, I can't remember his character's name in Mean Streets, but then this, which is you know four pretty different characters, yeah. and he, he like you know this is this is kind of like Pete De Niro. He was just knocking them out of the park every single time, and it, and it sounds like this is you know a, a, con- a continuation of that form. This, yeah, you're exactly right. And eventually, the Goodfellas as well in 1990, but and he actually had to take a seven year break, six, a seven eight year break from Scorsese for after this film because. They had such a rough time making it. It was so cynical, and the character he had to in- inhibit was, you know, so against what he wanted to be. And it's just, he's just so good in it. Like it's, it's unlike any De Niro performance I've ever seen. To be honest mm. with you, he's just so nuanced in it. He's so subtle. Oh, just oh, I just loved it. I, I might watch it again. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I I need to see this movie. I, I as I say, it's it's been. In fact, I think this is on Prime as well, and I've been meaning to watch it for ages because it is probably my biggest uh, Scorsese blind spot. It's it's one of the one of the the few uh, big movies of his that I've that I've never seen, and by all accounts, it's fantastic. And I, you know, I I love stuff like this that's that's kind of deconstructing the 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 mythos of celebrity mm-hmm. and and show business in general and and pre- presenting like a really cynical grimy underbelly of it that's that's that very much speaks to me yeah, um it's, it's, which it's, sounds it's like great. what this is yeah and actually um uh robert de niro's i'm not going to say too much about this because i don't want to spoil anything but his his wife at the time uh uh diane abbott she's also in it and she plays his love interest um and if you've seen joker you know where the love interest story goes in that film i'm not going to make a conclusion on this one but i will say having seen joker first it made for a very interesting viewing of this film because i was questioning what was real what wasn't Mm. what's in his head because both both the character arthur fleck and uh and rupert popkin they have mental health issues and they 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 at their at their house they 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 reenact like talk show spots and like they're always sort of going away into their fantasy land within their mind and you never quite know and Scorsese's quoted as saying that he he wanted there to be no difference between the fantasy within his within his mind and the real life so you're sort of left guessing what's what but yeah. um but even like even the similarities between Joker and this even down to having like the the the, the fake the fake talk show in his in his apartment and stuff down yeah. to living with his mother it's all there you know it's all very very similar <laughs> it does kind of beg the question and and again i, I can't really weigh in on the uh, on the answer to this question because i haven't seen uh, one of these movies but it does sort of beg the question at what point does homage creep into plagiarizing <laughs> i honestly <laughs> honestly right i honestly think they said to themselves when they were making joker we have to get Robert De Niro to play Murray Franklin. If we don't, no one will want will will, will critically uh, you know praise this film because if we, if we yeah. don't, it's just a carbon copy. But if he's on board, then we can th- th- then we can at least talk about how it's inspired. You know, it is yeah. so similar. It it just I mean it, maybe it speaks to my own cynicism, but I just feel like wearing your influences on your sleeve does not necessarily excuse you for just cribbing whole cloth from those influences, um, yeah, which like, it sounds like Joker did with King of Comedy. Yeah, I've talked in, in much in the past about influences. No, never has anyone made something that wasn't inspired by other things. 
Um, everything is inspired. The whole point of making something original is to be inspired by everything that's led up to that moment or to be inspired by 10, 20 things. This Joker was... Anyway, this isn't a, a view of Joker, but it was inspired by one or two films, and you can see it. Um, I will also just want to mention before we move off, there's an actress called uh, Sandra Bernhard, and she by all accounts, seems to not really have done much else with her career of note. But she plays a stalker of Jerry Langford, and she has a dynamic with um, uh, Rupert Popkin. Because at the beginning of the film, you're, you're imagining Rupert Popkin actually is an aspiring, he's an aspiring comedian, and he's going through in legitimate ways. But then all of a sudden, then you meet this stalker character, uh, mm. Marsha, and, and she's like very much a stalker. Uh, of uh, of him and very creepy and sort of very controlling and oh, it's just really well done. Does but, she like allow him to feel superior and like take the moral high ground because he's like I'm not at least I'm not as bad as that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. But then very quickly, like I'm talking like within the first ten minutes of the film, you realize they know each other and you kind of have a whole different take on the film because it's like, hang on a minute, this is like the little stalkers group. You know what I mean? Like well, club of stalkers. The club. Of, yeah, it's really interesting. I do really really recommend it. That's awesome. Yeah, as I say, it's very much on my list. And it's Martin Scorsese. He, I don't think he makes bad movies. So I, I, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty safe in following that recommendation. Yeah, I will just um, say, I will just say, sorry, before you go on, because I've <coughs> talked about so much of the Joker uh, stuff. I think this will make you laugh. There's a certain point in the film where he goes to do a comedy gig, right? And before he goes on, he goes to the guy, call me the king. Oh, Okay, because obviously in uh, Joker he says, "Call me Joker." I'm, I yeah. literally, you watch this film, you're going to think Todd Phillips just watched it and went, "What if he was Joker at the end?" Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have made that connection and asked that very same question yeah. <laughs> of Todd Phillips, to be honest. Um, right. Okay. Well, uh, so I think we'll move on from 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 uh, Scorsese there. I'll, I'll do a couple now. I've got two yep. that naturally sit quite natu- um, naturally sit quite naturally next to each other. Sure. That makes well, sense they, to me. That's that's not it's not um, redundant <laughs> to say that. So, talking about Disney Plus, I signed up for it. This is not a plug for Disney Plus, although Disney, if you're listening. Until they've got a full, yeah. Until they've got a full on hundred percent monopoly, I'll support them. I don't support full monopolies, so you know. I'll support them until they fuck up either the X Men or the Alien series. If they do that, I'm out. Um, I was interested to find out, actually, not talking about politics from last week, but just as a quick, a quick little aside here, it's interesting the uh, the spirit of the Disney films they put out throughout the world. Uh, But then I found out recently uh, a load of uh, the Disney had. I got the news through. Disney has pulled out of do- uh, pulled their donations from all of the uh, Republicans who vo- who who voted to de- uh, delegitimize the election, and I thought to myself, Disney is donating to the Republicans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to touch this. I'm just going to say I'm not that surprised that big businesses are siding with a certain aspect. You mean you don't actually mean spectrum. what Mickey Mouse says? <laughs> anyway, Mickey Mickey Mouse is the ultimate capitalist. <laughs> Anyway, I watched Mulan twenty twenty because I was going through twenty twenty films that I hadn't seen. What did what did you think of it? Tell, hit me hit me with your opinion before hit, I go into it. Hit me it. with your best my best shot. Yeah. Um, first half an hour, I thought it was going to be a mockery of the original. <laughs> I, I, it, it it probably still is, but but I will say it grew on me as I watched it. It grew on me as I watched it. Um, okay. I think that by the end of it probably i'm thinking 
it came out as it came out as I enjoyed watching it. Um, yeah, that's that's what I feel. It grew okay. on me. It grew on me. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think I had the probably the opposite reaction. I. Uh, I really wanted to like this movie because I think the production design and the costumes and the use of color are beautiful. It's very pretty. It does, yeah. I mean, oh, it's 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 you know this warm presentation that's just very pretty to look at. Absolutely, we bought a zoo factor, Um, and I think you know capturing the world uh, was uh, Nikki Caro's first concern. I think in in the direction of this, they wanted to make sure they did. The, the the china they were depicting justice and i think yeah. to be fair i think they did do that but as as is, I, and i do like some of the live action disney remakes we watched us uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it here but we, we watched the cinderella me- remake the kenneth branagh one um recently that's a very good remake i think some of the others are okay um this is just it just makes me ask why like they they took out pretty much all the comedy mm-hmm. uh all, all of the music and it just means the movie doesn't really work. It just feels really dry. I feel like there's no characters that I care about or, or, or kind of can empathize with. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because, you know, the, the cast of this movie is great. You know, you've got Donnie Yen, you've got Jet Li, who it's great to see Jet Li. Uh, you've got Jason Scott Lee, uh, Tai Ma uh, from, uh, you know, well, he's in loads of stuff, but, you know, he's in Arrival. And there's, there's loads of really, really good, I, I guess, really good martial artists in this movie um rather than necessarily really good actors yeah and it's, it's a shame that they're in something so dry and and the, the 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 real kicker for me is that some of the fight scenes i found to be really really good where that where they actually let people like donnie yen just be good martial artists because they are and and you know they, they shot it in a, in a wide shot or they you know don't have to shoot it in a wide shot but they they let the each shot breathe to show his amazing his amazing work that really worked for me but a lot of the time it was really kind of frenetic and and it's like the editor couldn't resist or maybe maybe the nikki caro couldn't resist cutting around during the fight sequences and it just made it really disorienting and and robbed those fight sequences of a lot of 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 their wow factor um so it i just i think it really drags in the middle but it does look it does look very nice um hard hard to recommend it though i i, I find. yeah i wouldn't recommend it i think i think one thing that sort of these disney remakes are falling flat on is and maybe the beauty of the beast beauty and the beast had a little was more positive in this way because emma what's her name emma watson. watson emma watson actually sort of ha- agreed to do it on certain terms that they would put into the character i think that this suffers because the the message they're telling was very relevant in the 90s when Mulan first came out. Still, obviously, is is relevant. But the political climate has moved on. And I think that it takes away... I don't know. To me, I didn't get that... I didn't get the same sense from this film of, you know, woman empowerment. I, I didn't get that sense from this. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just because I'm not a, a young, impressionable child anymore. And, you know, <laughs> like the first one had that impression on me and I, and I sort of that taught me a lesson. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's why I didn't get it from this. Maybe young young boys and young girls are getting that message when they watch this, but it wasn't there for me. I think the biggest the biggest crying shame of this whole thing was if you can if you can have a literal witch or whatever the woman was, right? Yeah. Why can't you have Mushu? Yeah, I mean, there's, that is the that is the the real shame of this is I think they they felt like they needed to get away from the music and the comedy, 
and replace it with the the kind of wuxia fa- fantasy elements, which I, I kind of get, but they just don't replace it with enough. So you are left with this gaping hole where you're, you're dying. You're, the movie is like calling out for some proper comedic relief, and there's just there's just nothing there. Uh, uh, you know, the the role that Eddie Murphy uh, filled in the in the original that that would be perfect here, but there just isn't that much comedy. It's very dry as a result, mm. and a lot of the plot lines feel quite half baked to me. So you know, this, this witch who yeah. serves the the Mongolian horde as a kind of analog to Mulan this this woman who who has like this, this shadowy reflection of Mulan who's gone a different route but is also a woman seeking to break away from the 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 the, the hole that society wants her to fit into there's not a lot of time spent with that character so it just feels yeah. a bit underbaked to me she turns and she turns just because you know Mulan's a woman yeah so I didn't I didn't like that I like you know yeah. like, like you know why what is this like sympathy you know look, mulan is doing a great job here we don't like, we don't need this other woman here um yeah. i mean I, I i didn't i thought the aesthetic of the character was cool um yeah just, yeah, just, yeah. yeah a lot of it's really great to look at and and it's not it's not an unsalvageable film as i say it's re- like it is really nice to look at donnie yen jet lee and uh jason jason scott lee brandon scott lee i'm gonna hold jason on scott let me lee. jason scott lee who did play bruce lee in uh, dragon of bruce lee story like so you've got three not i guess you could say like kind of three generations of very very prominent martial artists here um that that all do some some really cool stuff gently less so because he's quite unwell but but still it's great to see him well in, i did i did something. like i did like how they went into sort of house of fly and dagger style running up the yeah. wall and i did like the little moments like that yeah that's the that wuxia influence mm-hmm. uh which i think was smart i think it's cool to to, to see that you know you might like this this is perfect fodder for for you to implement a style like that yeah um it's just a shame that the presentation in the fight scenes isn't better uh but it's not you know it's not the it's not awful either but yeah. given my next movie it's hard to recommend that one my next movie is something I had never seen before, funnily enough, and that is Mulan from 1998. I figured, you know what? I've watched the 2021. I should probably go and watch the 1998 one. No, I'd see. I I um had gotten out of Disney around about. I'm going to say Tarzan. I think that was shortly before Mulan. I I was Collins' uh, masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Phil Collins, right? There will be no bad mouthing of Phil <laughs> Phil Collins on this pod, pod, actually, podcast. Actually, no. I love the music in Tarzan. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, I think I saw Tarzan. I I don't really remember what I thought of it, but I, I was a, a, probably about 13 and I was sort of getting out of Disney movies at that point. So I never saw Mulan or I think it, it, this, Mulan came out around about the time that Disney was getting into that straight to video sequel period as well. So mm-hmm. I assumed that Mulan was terrible. And, and this is the first time that I'd seen it. And I have to say, it's not my favorite Disney movie. I think... Obviously, I have no nostalgia for it, so there's nothing kind of carrying me to enjoying it. I still think it's it was it was good though. I enjoyed it. Eddie Murphy is is a great comic relief. The music is fantastic, and it does share that use of color um, and and really strong sense of style with the 2020 remake. Um, it, it's it's a very kind of bright and joyous film, which which I really enjoyed. Um, the, the one thing I probably would criticize about it is that they had B D Wong uh, in the cast. I can't remember the name of the sort of male. He's not Conan. He's a, I think it's Chang, but B D Wong obviously guy from jurassic park is a uh, a tony winning 
uh, Broadway actor and they dubbed his singing part with fucking Donny Osmond, which is a bit like, oh, cool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> just what just what Disney movies needed was Donny Osmond singing the part. Um, maybe that maybe there was a reason for that. But I feel like if you've got a Tony Award winning Broadway actor in your movie, maybe let them sing the song, especially if they are Asian and playing an Asian character. Maybe let them sing the part rather that, than getting Donny Osmond. To that's do it. just Disney really panicking that it's not going to be a financial success and thinking they need a, a big name big get, name. Don, get, get the, donny in someone get me donny osman <laughs> yeah exactly like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. disney exact smoke he was the closest to them but but yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the original mulan is actually ima's like probably ima's favorite disney film um mm. when she when ima after we got married she cut her hair all off uh and then donated it to the little princess trust uh, to make wigs for children with cancer and yeah. um and we and we made a uh, uh, a sort of a piss take version of whenever the like the mo- the montage in Mulan yeah. where she cuts her hair. We we made a piss take version of that of Ema doing that. Um, sent it to Saint, uh, the Little Princess Trust because you know they've got a load of videos on their website of like little kids getting their hair cut to donate it. So we were like, ah, screw it. We made this montage, put a lot of effort into it, sent it there. Never heard back. <laughs> it was funny as well. Um, at the very end of the video. I did this thing where um, Emo was like packaging up her hair to send away, and it went. Uh, I had the music going. Let's get down to business, to defeat. And then I went, concert. <laughs> <laughs> the very like pronounced Northern Irish yeah. accent in it, it really sells that as a joke. I think probably why they didn't get back. Let's be honest, but. Uh, I yeah. would I would immediately get back to someone if they sent me that. I'd be like, let's. Can you make more video packages like this for us, please? This is perfect yeah. well Ema said to me the other day actually I, I i might donate my hair once every 10 years i was like that's a good idea she goes do you want to make another video when i do it next time I'm like well this is this time we'll be like 35 or whatever I'm like yes we do yes we do and Ema said why don't we just make the same montage from Mulan every time and i was like no no we got to find another one i and i i think i can't remember what uh, oh yes my, my idea was uh to do the montage in dark where marta cuts her hair but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah perfect perfect but uh yeah there we go so um mulan Original cartoon. I'm gonna. I'm gonna honestly tell you, I didn't watch it when I was a kid. I watched it when I was maybe 17, 18, when I first met Emma. Mm-hmm. It was one of her favorite Disney film. I really enjoy it. I think the music's great. Um, even though I like Christina Aguilera, I don't. I don't agree with Disney pop versions. <laughs> you know, let's go with the original. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, it's definitely better. It is 100% better, and it, and it is good. I think I still would put something like uh, Beauty and the Beast in a tier above it uh, i think that's probably my favorite if i was forced to pick oh really but um but yeah i'd probably say beauty and the beast aladdin well i uh, think aladdin aladdin is uh what that robin williams vehicle uh yeah that was a good oh, one. yeah um i'll tell you what actually i was this is completely unrelated but i was i've been watching someone play have you ever heard of the, the video game kingdom hearts yeah so that's like Disney Final Fantasy crossover, and and the, to get um, the genie in that is played by the guy who played the genie uh, in uh, the the sequel to the Aladdin, sequels, Dan yeah. Castellaneta, uh, who is also the voice of Homer Simpson. Oh, and I yeah. tell you what, I love Dan, I love me some Dan Castellaneta, but he ain't no Robin Williams. No, no, <laughs> I agree. I actually, now. I actually watched Return of Jafar or whatever it was called the other day with my son. And it just, oh, okay. what, it, it just wasn't the same. It yeah, really it's just, I mean, and I, I, you know, pro, he's trying, I feel like the direction isn't helping him because the, like the, the, the people who are directing him are being like, do Robin Williams, do that. Yeah. Be Robin Williams. And it's like, you just can't, you can't direct someone to do that. Yeah, just just also to go on the record, I'd probably, you said Beauty and the Beast is probably your favorite Disney. I think if I, I had to choose, I'd probably say 101 Dalmatians. Uh, yeah. See, I, I, 
I do. This is another one that that we watched that I, I wasn't going to include in this. We watched the the rescuers, and I I the rescuers. <laughs> that, that, that yeah, I know it was just uh, you know we were going through and we're like, oh, I haven't seen the rescuers for a long time, yeah. and it's that kind of sixties and seventies period. I watched all of it. I don't really have any love for any of those. Like hundred one Dalmatians, I don't know if I'd watch that again not, not because really. it was bad just because it's like i don't know it, I, I couldn't really put my finger on exactly why they don't connect with me as well I just but love I, the experimental style of like the, the, mm. the watercolor backgrounds and yeah i just yeah think, yeah there, there was definitely a lot of, i feel like by 89 i think 89 88 like whenever little mermaid came out disney had that like 10 year stretch where like right we've got our style we can experiment within within these parameters so their art style would differ slightly and obviously with beauty and the beast they experimented with using yeah, um CG. like cgi backgrounds with with 2d animation yeah, yeah. but there, there, there was a kind of similar aesthetic whereas in the 60s and 70s they were just throwing anything out there like what if we do this one yeah, in it, watercolor or what if we yeah. rotoscope this one and it's they were it's, properly it, flagging and they needed they were trying to find a new thing that would hit and yeah. some of them worked, to my in my opinion. Like I, the hundred one Dalmatians to me does work. Yeah. Um, it's but yeah, as you say, like I watched the Rescuers for the first time about a week or two ago, um, and uh, I tell you, that was a strange film. <laughs> yeah, it is a weird movie. It's a, it, I mean, it's it is good, but it's it is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm, I'm we're we're looking forward to watching the Rescuers Down Under. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which it's, made me yeah. made me love golden eagles as an animal yeah you're in you're in they've got you all right um right okay yeah so that's mulan so why, why don't you give us uh give us one of your ones now okay so my third one that i watched this week uh was 1966's django the spaghetti western ah oh, mate I've, I've never seen this either I've, I've almost watched it several times but i i do love a spaghetti western yeah so it's proper proper spaghetti western yeah originally italian dubbed dubbed over franco nero uh this was his proper big breakout role um he, he became a icon uh and, mm-hmm. and actually it's funny um after this film came out this was a huge film in europe uh, as well as in america but i think in europe especially in germany i read but um Apparently, after this came out, a load of spaghetti westerns, even though they had nothing to do with this film and had no one called Django in it, started being called like Django Goes West, Django that. Oh, yeah. And like everything was just called Django because they were trying to get uh, the momentum off this film, which I think is hilarious because Quentin Tarantino did that as an homage to that time when he made Django Unchained. And he, I just 100% know he called the character Django and said Django Unchained because he was making a reference to the fact that every film was called Django something. Yeah. Um, which is great. But uh, So this is not nothing to do with uh, with Django Unchained. It does share... like Quentin Tarantino in Django Unchained did use the opening theme. Uh, uh, it goes, Django! You know, like sort of... Ha. Yeah. But they, so they used, they used that theme. Um, and that's pretty much... There are similarities in other regards, but it's it's a it's a great spaghetti western. Yeah, lots of real gritty, lots of lots of uh, lots of lots of killing. Uh, I think the body count is close to two hundred in this film. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it, insp- it inspired. I, I I mean, I I know this by its reputation, but but Django's. Um, I think it's the ending where he like gets on a mounted machine gun and just absolutely wrecks people. That not, directly. No, that's in- not the ending, actually. Oh, is that not the end? That's, well, that's, but, that's I mean, very close at the start, actually. Oh, okay. Well, but I mean, scenes like that directly inspired uh, scenes like the end of the Wild Bunch, which came out three years after after um, this. So it, it was 
uh, spaghetti westerns were very influential despite yeah. um despite you know not being um perhaps being a little bit lower budget to, to to look at um and and yeah i think the only thing that that um talking about Django Unchained that it actually carries over from this is that um is it Franco Nero you said the the, the He's in it, yeah he does turn up briefly and get in Django Unchained which is fun yeah. um but yeah i mean i i love movies like this this is it's there's a if we have any any fans of of kind of Italian cinema or maybe some Italian listeners, maybe they they could correct me. But there feels like there's a very clear th- uh, similarity between spaghetti westerns and the Italian horror of like the 60s through to the 80s of Giallo, in that it's all very very blood splattered and cheesy. And I love all of it. It's so and I should have seen this movie by now to be honest. That's the thing about it is that there's a lot of blood in this film. But also, what's hilarious to me, and it's just the low budget nature of it, when he's using the Gatling gun, and when he's you shoot when they're shooting people, people are just like throwing themselves on the ground. There's no blood spatter. There's, the, no. there's, no, there's nothing like that. They're just throwing. There's no bullet coming out the gun. There's no. There's no muzzle flash. There's like no. you know they just fall to the ground. When he's using the, uh, the, there's muzzle flash when he's using the what do you call it the the Gatling gun. Yeah. But they're all just falling on the floor, and the hilarious thing is. The bullets are not moving into the gun. Like there's, there's the same amount of bullets hanging out of that gun when he's finished as when they're when they're. Oh yeah, like they're not they're not concerned about stuff like that. It's they're just, just like yeah. kids playing in the in the in the garden. That's what it's like. But uh, yeah, so basically, do what you can with what you've got. Yeah. So it's, basically, it's also just the plot of it is it's just like you know out of towner stranger comes into the town. This one's a bit interesting because he's he's car- he's dragging a coffin behind him. Uh, yeah. You don't you don't know sort of who's in the coffin or what's going on there. And he becomes embroiled in a bit of feud between southern racists and a band of Mexican revolutionaries. Um, yeah. And it's just a great watch. I will say as well, it's directed by Sergio Cubucci. Um, yeah. Now, Sergio Leone obviously is the big famous one from the, the, the Dollars trilogy. But um, Sergio Cubucci was a big director of his time as well. And uh, I, I love... Um, I actually never seen a, I've never seen a Cubucci film before this one. But I, love, I, I knew who he was because in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's recent film... Uh, whenever Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, goes over to Italy for a bit to film some films, he's like yeah. he 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 films films with uh, Sergio Corbucci. Uh, so yeah. this, this is this is one of the directors that uh, the character of Rick Dalton worked with. Um, and just uh, just really good fun. Um, yeah. good Sunday think, afternoon viewing. I think this is um this is one of the numerous. Based on, based purely on the plot line, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is one of the the numerous uh, spaghetti westerns that essentially just took the plot of Yojimbo, uh, the Akira Kurosawa movie. We're like, yeah, that's cool. We're just going to do that. Like a, a lone warrior yeah. rolls into town and finds two warring factions and basically plays them against each other and ends up killing a bunch of people. That's exactly um, right. I think the Dollars trilogy basically heavily took that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a fistful of dollars is literally just Yojimbo. I think I, I have a feeling Akira Kurosawa spent a long time trying to sue Sergio Leone uh, for that because it is literally the same story. But um, I mean, we got some good movies out of it, and Akira Kurosawa ended up okay as well. So like, we're, yeah, we're he, fine. He, I need to I need to watch more samurai films to be honest with you because I love westerns. Yeah. Uh, so I will love Samurai too. So I, I need to watch yeah. it. Yeah, Jimbo is a great movie to start with because it's very simple. Um, uh, you know, if you and if you like A Fistful of Dollars or, or or Django, it's literally the same story except it's maybe a little bit. Um, there's a little bit more craft to the presentation because Akira Kurosawa was a master of his yeah. of his craft, and Toshiro Mifune is is a badass. Uh, the guy who plays who plays the the 
uh, eponymous hero in that one. But I will check this out. I've been meaning to for ages, and it's yeah. it's always good fun I seeing it's, a very. It's quite short too. It's only it's only ninety minutes. So. Mm. Um, cool. Okay. Well, so we'll, we'll go from that one to unfortunately a not great movie. It's the first movie of 2021 that I've seen. Um, and this is Outside the Wire. It, it released on Netflix um, on the 15th of January, I believe. I think that was a, an international release. Um, starring Anthony Mackie, uh, Damson Idris, who I've not actually not actually seen anything before this, um, Emily Beach and, and Michael Kelly. Basically, the central conceit is that it's a, a drone pilot is handpicked by this experimental android super soldier to accompany accompany him outside the wire uh, because he he fires uh, when ordered not to uh, and ends up killing two marines. He saves a bunch of other marines' lives, but um, but he kills some other people. So he's sent on this kind of correctional course, and uh, he is handpicked by this android super soldier to accompany him outside the wire into the Ukraine, where there is a revolution ongoing. Obviously. That is that is actually true. This is set. I think it. I don't know if they ever say a date, but it's kind of loosely set a little bit in the in the future. I think, um, and essentially they are trying to stop a terrorist from seizing control of the former Soviet nuclear arsenal in the eastern Ukraine. Um, hmm. It's it's not. It, it, like it's never really that clear. The, the, so there's a couple of problems with this movie. The, the first one is that. The, this this conceit of this drone pilot being picked by specifically picked by an android super soldier to accompany him outside the the wire to stop a terrorist plot always feels very tenuous and it is eventually explained but it takes a massive kind of expo, expo, uh, expository period to, to actually get there yeah and it's, it's not the end of the world to not really understand what uh i kind of understand like the reasoning for the plot if uh the 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 kind if like the themes of your movie are working okay and that the other aspects of it are, are, are carrying their weight but unfortunately the, the 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 sort of prominent metaphor in this movie of a human being taught the cost of our increasingly detached and automated method of waging war by a robot is kind of frequently so on the nose mm-hmm. that it's it feels very contrived i was kind of expecting anthony mackie to turn who plays the the android super soldier to turn around at some point and be like you see man is the real monster at various points of this. <laughs> and it was just like it was just yeah and and it's it's hard to get past that it's very hard to get on board with the with a particularly con- contrived plot because like because the, the movie is hammering its metaphors so it's like heavily the, it's like the subplot in the last jedi it's like war's bad yeah we're watching yeah Star Wars. yeah <laughs> and, and, and like and it's it's not a metaphor that i disagree with but, it, yeah. but there, there, there's no subtlety to how it's employed it does eventually get away from it but it's 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 very heavy-handed um it, the, michael kelly does let's talk about briefly some cool things in this michael kelly does briefly show up who was in i only really know him from uh, Zack snyder's dawn of the dead remake um he always seems to play a kind of disgruntled badass with a heart of gold in literally everything i ever see him in uh and he basically does play that um in in um in in outside the wire as well mm-hmm. um so he's a he's a bright spark unfortunately he doesn't get that much time um the, the, the main the main meat of the plot is taken up by Danton idris and Anthony mackie's characters and i never really bought the chemistry between them uh they felt like they were kind of back and forth between liking and hating each other just because the plot wanted them to be rather than because there was any conceivable reason for uh them to them to uh, feel that way 
And Idris's character arc is is a little messy, to be honest. The pacing is all over the place, um, and there there are some characters who get basically no time to develop or have any kind of arc before they're either killed or just just removed from the story. Um, so it, it just ends up with a bunch of a bunch of their contributions feeling quite hollow and cheap, to be honest. Speaking, um, of, speaking of the characters who don't get maybe get a, a light to shine, I want to know how Emily Beecham did in this. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Emily Beecham because she yeah. has been the first person cast in the upcoming TV series 1899. That's why I'm keeping an eye on her. Yeah, no, she she is good in it, but yeah, she is a classic. She, her and Michael Kelly and you're gonna hate me for saying this but pilo asked back uh shitty jack sparrow from game of thrones um all three of those actors are very good and they get barely any time in this at all it's 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 it, all the focus is on um is on on the two the two co-leads unfortunately so emily beecham is good with what she gets but mm-hmm. she doesn't get much um okay. I, I will i will say for like some good things about it the action sequences for the most part are very good although some of the editing really rubbed me the wrong way there were a couple of moments where i felt like kind of literally disoriented with how much they were they were cutting um and these sci-fi concepts are very cool uh so they, they introduced this idea of like mobile um kind of mechanized soldiers called gumps which is a hilarious acronym for for a, i don't even i don't know if they ever explain what it stands for but they were just like get the gumps and <laughs> like zombies it's, it's so funny but they're very well they're very like well designed there are a couple of really cool action sequences between soviet or soviet excuse me russian and uh the, the way this movie presents the conflict it feels like we've gone back to like a cold war era movie but it's in um, the near future it is in the near future yeah um between like the us and the, and the, and the russian gumps but i i feel i wanted more of them to be honest like i wanted this is maybe maybe me wanting a bit more rogue one in my in my outside the wire but i'll this movie was crying out for a wisecracking gump to, yeah. be, on, to, be, to be on the team, just following them around. They're like, ha, 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 ha. I mean, even that. Interstellar had the huge cuboids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tars was was the was the star of Interstellar. Come like on, Tars. Yeah, I I was I was I was big into Tars, and I would have loved a wisecracking gump here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's it's not a great movie, unfortunately. Although I, I will say this for it as well, it ends as all good movies should. Uh, with a fight atop a nuclear missile, <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so okay. that's it has that going for it at the very least. Yeah. All right. Well, we can get on board with that 100. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, pro- I mean, probably if you want... not. I'll probably not race to see this one, Conrad. No, it's not your kind of movie. I would say uh, in the first place, and it's not. It's not a great. Uh, uh, not a great one of these, unfortunately. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, how many you got left? You got one left. I've got. I've got one left. So you give me yours, and then how many have you got left? One. I'll as well. give you mine. You give me yours. Yeah, I got one left. Let's do it. Okay. So my last one is the 2007 David Schwimmer directed film, Run, Fat Boy, Run. Oh, did David Schwimmer direct this? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I did not know that. Bloody yeah. hell. Okay, fine. It's his directorial debut, um, and as you know, he's clearly a man who's got a lot of money and was just having a bit of fun. He directed one other feature film, I think, and then he sort of dipped his toes back into acting here and there. He's sort of just doing what he wants. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got that friend's money. He doesn't care. Yeah, so apparently originally this was going to be set in Los Angeles, but whenever uh, you know UK producers got it, it came over here. And I don't know how this happened, but through t- going from Los Angeles, being set in Los Angeles to being set in London somehow it turned into a richest richard curtis knockoff you know yeah that is exactly what it's trying to do as well yeah it's like it's somehow turned into a richard curtis knockoff i don't know 
how that happened because the script already existed before they went to uh, the UK. But anyway, so basically it's about a fella um, played by Simon Pegg called Dennis. And uh, he, at the very beginning of the film, hilariously runs away from his commitment to marry Tandy Newton. Um, yep. Tandy Newton's a really interesting actress because she's, she's, I think, did she, did she get nominated for an act, uh, an Oscar for playing Condoleezza Rice? I mean, she might even even have won. I can't, did she win? She might have won, but anyway. I don't I don't. Yeah, I need to look that up now. I don't remember. Oh, the main thing I remember her from is um, is Westworld, to be honest. Which no, is she's awful. very good in, in Westworld. But, uh, but but yeah, so basically she's been nominated for a couple of Golden Globes, actually, not not for a uh, thing. But but she she also she's also in um, an episode of, uh, know, a series of Line of Duty, which is a UK crime show, which is very, very good. But, oh, okay. Uh, but basically, um, Dennis is, he runs away from Tandy Newton's character, Libby, who's pregnant on their wedding day, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. He runs, he runs away, uh, and then he sort of five years later, he's a security guard, down and out security guard, a little bit overweight. Um, and wouldn't you know, Libby's got this new boyfriend, Hank Azaria. Um, yeah, him. he's a real piece of shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a moment where, and sort of like, Dennis wants to get back to with Tandy Newton, but he sort of won't even admit that to himself. And he gets very jealous of this new fellow, Wit. And Wit is like a, a stockbroker. You know, he's like a, what he's, he's like a venture capitalist or whatever he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. He's something, something in the something in Canary Wharf in London, anyway. Um, yeah. And uh, he's like a lot of money. He's got muscles to, to spare. He's like, you know, he, he puts talcum powder on his balls in in Simon Peck's face. And in which, fact, yeah, uh, in fact, I actually, always stood out to me. Yeah, I actually read uh, that in that scene, Hank Azaria couldn't get the little sock to stay on his bits, so he actually just did it without a sock on. <laughs> and they and they didn't tell Simon Pegg. Before I'm sure the... Simon Pegg appreciated that. <laughs> so the reactions in the film are actually genuine, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so basically gets up like any like UK comedy, which is weird. I know it's directed by David Schwimmer, but anyway, um, it, it sort of becomes this thing where everything hinges on like a race or like something, yeah. you know. So basically, he decides he's going to still run. down. So this is this is him proving his worth to Tandy. Yeah, he's Newton. proving his worth. Hank Azaria is runs marathons, and he so he says, "Well, you know, you, you want to be with him? Well, I'm going to run the marathon too." Uh, and then the whole thing's like it's it's Richard Curtis to a T, but not yeah. as, not as good. Like even the bit before, like when like I'm not going to spoil anything, but they're late to the race at the end, and they need to like to like high pe- high paced music like like you know fast paced music have to you know run out of their house in the morning get in a cab go across london like it's so richard curtis it's yeah and it, it's really weird actually because you're absolutely right but it, uh, but it's like directed by david schwimmer and it's it's written by michael ian black who i think wrote uh, wet hot american summer so it's like yeah. a very very like american production team behind the camera um it's and, really but, strange but they are very much aping that uh, aping that Richard Curtis uh, rom com style. Yeah. Um, the, the main thing I remember about this, to be honest, was Dylan Moran being his friend, which Dylan, I, I'm Dylan always Mar- a big fan Dylan of. Dylan Moran is funny. Um, Ema, Ema made a comment while I was watching this, and she said, "Why does Dylan Moran always get put in a leather jacket?" Like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it, like it's a fault of Bernard Black. Like, yeah. it, like black <laughs> books meant that he always has to wear black, and obviously leather is normally black. So yeah, but that's so, what so, so Dylan Moran plays sort of the comedy foil to Simon yeah. Pegg's straight man, but it doesn't really work in the same way as like the Nick Frost relationship from the Cornetto trilogy. And it's, yeah. one of, it's one of those weird in-between films for Simon Pegg where he's not quite the straight man, not quite the funny man, and it really suffers because the, the dynamic of it, like a duo isn't there. 
Um, yeah, and, I think- and, and the writing isn't there either, which is fu- which is yeah. funny for Michael Ian Black because he's normally a very good writer. But uh, I, I felt from what I remember of this movie, I, I don't remember a lot of the jokes landing. Yeah, no, it doesn't, and it's and it's just. Simon Pegg, I do like Simon Pegg, and and he, he's done a lot of really good stuff in his in his career. But whenever he does comedy, he needs a strong. He it's all he's always in that duo. It's always in the, in the double act that are the best Simon Pegg comedies. And even in like At World's End, he was At World's End was different than Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. In Shaun of the Dead, he was very much a straight man, a couple of one liners here and there, but very much a straight man to Nick Frost's funny man. Whereas in At World's End, they switched the roles. Simon mm. Pegg became the funny man. Nick Frost became the straight man. In this, he's sort of in between, and it's it's it doesn't really land for me. Yeah, neither one nor the other. It, I mean, I, I I haven't seen this movie for a while. I remember liking it at the time, it, but it, it, it I, was enjoyable. It was enjoyable, but it wasn't. You know, we talked about Notting Hill a few weeks ago. It's not at yeah. the same level. It's not at that it, level, but it's trying to be that. Yeah, yeah. I think this is probably similarly to. Um, to uh not to go back to it again but but joker it's kind of it, it wears its influences so clearly on its sleeve that yeah. it's very hard not to compare it to those movies which unfortunately are better than it for the most part yeah and it also has a one of the tropes which i dislike in films most I, there's a few tropes i dislike but this one is very on the nose about he's, he's, a, he's a single parent who's jealous of the new boyfriend that's one trope that's okay that's all right we can deal with that about three quarters of the way into the film the thing that gives him the drive to go and do the thing that he needs to better himself is his child just being like, listen, you need to do this. The child being like, I, should be, I shouldn't be like this, should I, dad? And then, and then the dad being like, hang on a minute. I'm like that still, you know, and like yeah. realizing you're still like your child and you need to grow up to, have, to have, have, be a mentor for them. Like it's just so on the nose when the child explains to the parent. You know, what I mean, I know. You know what I mean. Like it, can, it can, it can work, but yeah, yeah. It, it like it needs. You have to earn that kind of schmaltz, and this movie absolutely doesn't. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, but again, as I say, enjoyable, enjoyable, yeah, enjoyable. Not watch. Bad. I'm not. I wouldn't rush out the door to recommend it, but if you manage to see it, it's good fun. Yeah, yeah, not a bad movie. Um, okay, right, and, and my last one. Uh, I love this guy's uh, documentaries. I've seen all of them. Um, and th- uh, this is the most recent one that he's made. It, this is Asif Kapadia, or Kapadia. I'm not actually sure how you pronounce it. Uh, his uh, documentary on Diego Maradona uh, from 2019. So he, he has now done three uh, feature-length documentaries. The first one, one was on Edson's... Uh, yeah, so he did Senna. one on Ayrton Senna back in 2014, I believe. Mm-hmm. Then one on Amy Winehouse in 2016, right. and then this one. And it's it, it it put me in mind of maybe it's just because I watched it recently. Um, but Michael Jordan's uh, The Last Dance series on Netflix, where uh, it was yeah really good. It was a bit of a bit of a puff piece for for MJ, but you know, well, yeah, I, didn't, I, I didn't like. Let's put it this way: you knew it was because it stopped whenever it, like it stopped whenever he got bad. I don't know why they didn't continue on to the Wizards uh, story. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, it, like it, it. Well, I mean, he was okay on the Wizards. Like he wasn't that bad. Like by his standards, he was. I know, but like he wasn't bad. winning championships. Like- no, but um, but but with the last dance, as as with this, uh, it, it leaves me the the main feeling I get watching these these movies or these documentaries is a sense of gratitude and and to be honest, like uh, a, a sense of 
I, I, I almost, almost like disbelieving that so much of this footage not only exists but it's preserved so well. Um, it, Asif Kapadia has this way of sort of conjuring up this documentary footage that seemingly shouldn't exist given how long ago uh, a lot of these a lot of these events were filmed, and yet he's able to find them, and then has a very very uh, kind of soft touch with how he puts the footage together so as not to make his point that he's driving towards overly obvious and i, I think that's always i i, I go I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with with documentary as a genre because a lot of the time i feel like it's one of the most emotionally exploitative yeah, genres manipulative. Like fundamentally 100%. manipulative yeah no, not not exploitative but manipulative because it's it's like that based on a true story thing but carried to its logical conclusion where where you can essentially order all of the this footage and uh, into any any order you wish and, and present whichever whichever yeah. kind of story you want to but i think asif kapad is very good about obviously there are there are narratives there are arcs that he wants to he wants to explore uh, but it's never, never really ham-fisted, um, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's really refreshing. Um, and this is, uh, you know, talking talk about Diego Maradona. This is uh, a, just a wonderful profile of a, a troubled, unique, uh, but phenomenally gifted man. And, and it's, um, it's there are there is some creative license taken with this, but I think overall it's pretty even-handed, and it's a really thoroughly entertaining documentary. Even if you're not into football, much like I, I, I. I'm sort of very very casual F1 fan. I loved Senna, um, Amy Winehouse. I was a bigger fan of, but that that is also very very interesting. And he, he just has such a great eye for subjects that he wishes to depict. And this is another fantastic documentary from him. That's good. I'm really looking forward to seeing it now. Both of those other documentaries he's made are ones that I've always meant. This is it's got to a point now with this documentary maker. I've been into as soon as Senna came out, I wanted to see it. I didn't see it. Yeah. Amy came out and I went, geez, I really have to get around to seeing Senna and Amy now. And now there's three of them. I need to hurry up and get on this. Otherwise, it's going to end up and he's going to have like <laughs> yeah. 10 of them to watch, you know? Yeah, like he's... I, I, I don't know how he does it. Like, it's he is so consistent with how good these documentaries are. And it's it is hard to win me round to a documentary because, as I say, I, I, I can see the strings a lot of the time with the filmmakers um, yeah. when it comes to documentary and it annoys me. But this is another fantastic entry in his catalog. I, I re- yeah, I recommend this and I really recommend Amy and Senna as well. They're all fantastic. Even if you're not into the sports, it's just that very, very interesting profiles of interesting people. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I will. F1 is again, I, I'm very casual in the same way as you, like I, my dad would have watched it growing up. So I, I sort yeah. of have a, have a knowledge of it to a certain extent, but so it'll be really interesting to, to give it a go as well. But yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, we'll check that out. Um, but but yeah, I think that's un- unless you had any more that you wanted to mention. Oh, okay. you know what? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing this this week because I, I I put this down as a little note for our listeners. This isn't technically a movie, but if you're in the mood for a good television show, I watched The Queen's Gambit as well in the last week, and that is a great series. I really want to watch that. I really want to oh. watch that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's essentially it, it like if you take out Anya Taylor Joy delivering another phenomenal performance and beautiful production, fantastic presentation in, in, in the camera work yeah. and, and, and the editing. It's essentially Rocky Four, but about chess. And that, <laughs> I am very much into that. As a- <laughs> well, I'm, I, currently, currently, I'm watching uh, Mindhunter. No, sorry, not Mindhunter. Biohackers. I don't know where Mindhunter came from. Bi- Bi- I've seen Mindhunter. Mindhunter. It's very good. But Biohackers, which is a German uh, you know, college show about you know, bio, you know, bioengineering. But... Uh, 
The reason why I chose it, and I might watch the Queen's Bet Gambit next, but the reason I chose Biohackers is because I've started watching an episode a day while I'm on the cycle, the, on the bike. And uh, nice. they're 45 minutes each, and I'm not ready to commit to an hour every day yet. I, yeah. I, that's soon for me, but all these Netflix shows are an hour long each. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to do. So, some of the episodes of the Queen's Gambit are like an hour 10 as well. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's pretty up and down. So, yeah, you, you've got you've to work your way up to that. Yeah, I'll work my way up. But I, but I am going to watch it. It seems really good. Awesome. Okay, well, I think that's going to just about do it for us this week here on the Best Movie Podcast Ever. So really, we're left with one simple question uh, to to ask and answer, and that is, Anthony, what is your favourite movie? Only one answer this week, and that is The King of Comedy. What about you, Conrad? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great shout. Yeah. My favourite movie is The Matrix. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you for jo- joining us this week on the, the Best Movie Podcast ever. Please check us out next week where we're doing another one of these movie diaries. Uh, thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. You can find links to their stuff down in the in the description below. And, yeah, sub to us on YouTube, podcasting apps, uh, we're at the, the Culture Cave or the Best Movie Podcast ever. Give us a like, join in the conversation, share it with your friends, and we will see you same time, same place next week. 